0: And I'm not gonna cut Medicare or Medicaid. Every other Republican's gonna cut.
1: You're gonna cut too, Mr. President. Liar. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's wild. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I get down the stairs. To the left me, to the right Here I am Stuck in the middle with you Yep Yes, I'm stuck in the middle From with Pacifica you. Radio in Los and Angeles This really is the broadcast As heard on KPFK 90.7 7 FM People-powered radio in L.A. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ On the Central Coast 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM. Palinville, New York's 102.9 FM WLPP. Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We are also heard streaming coast to coast and around the globe. Every day of the week on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik, amongst others. 5 days a week blanketing planet earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. Uh coming up. Well, that was uh, you heard that promise from Donald Trump there in our in our open quote. That was Donald Trump uh, in May of 2015 promising that he would not cut Medicare and Medicaid, like all of those other Republicans, if only he were elected president, doesn't look like he's going to keep that promise, does he, Doyen? Surprise! Yes. (laughs) Jokes on you, suckers. Anyway, coming up, it's been about uh, 10 years, maybe more, I think, since we've last uh, had uh, Igor Volsky on air to talk about health care. That was way back when... The passage uh, during the fight for the passage of the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, maybe even earlier back when Howard Dean, remember him, his uh, attempt to reform health care back in 2004 and 2005. Well, now, since we are on the precipice of killing the Affordable Care Act. All of these years later, perhaps uh, e- even within just the next few days, the way things are now moving in Washington, D.C., seems like a good idea to check in with Igor again, which we will do shortly. Uh, you know, there is plenty that should be fixed in Obamacare, or preferably done away with altogether in favor of a single-payer plan or Medicare-for-all type system. Uh, but what the Republican Senate introduced on Thursday... From their secret process, uh, that ain't it. I, and I gotta say it's taken even me by surprise as far as how bad and destructive this bill is and this bill will be if it is enacted at this point. In any event, we will get uh, Igor's thoughts on all of that and what this uh, w- what is in store if these uh, Republicans are not stopped from their from their plan that will just gut, not just uh, you know insurance, but uh, Medicaid and and private insurance. Private, you know, if you if you uh, have insurance through your employer, that will be affected too. So we're going to get to all of that also a bit later. Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. Yay! Hello, Desi. Yeah, don't act. <laughs> yeah, don't Some act fun like stuff coming up. Yeah, sure. there, oh, there is that. <laughs> it's actually a news news filled uh, Green yes. News Report today. Very lots newsy. lots of stuff. Lots of stuff regarding. Uh, Energy Department uh, Secretary and super genius.
2: Well, it's the glasses,
1: Rick Perry.
2: Now that he's put on glasses, he is much smarter. Oh,
1: he's so smart! And there'll be a lot of that uh, Rick Perry smartness in the Green News Report coming up. Oh, just you up. wait! But first, in the in the 24 hours since this uh, Senate Republicans introduced their legislation to repeal and replace Obamacare, I got to say their bill has not aged well in those 24 hours. At least if you bother to actually listen to the, to the people who actually know stuff about health care, like doctors and hospitals and stuff. Leading health care advocacy groups are urging the Senate to make substantial changes, and that may be an understatement, uh, to the uh, health care plan revealed by Republicans on Thursday, which includes deep cuts to Medicaid in exchange for little more than huge tax breaks to the rich. And, uh, and fundamentally reshapes the program from an open-ended government commitment to a system of capped federal payments that limit spending when it comes to Medicaid. And that's just on the Medicaid part of it. It also reduces spending on the Obamacare tax credits for uh, buying insurance on the health care exchanges. One group after another has come out against this bill in the past 24 hours. I want to just run through a few of them, uh, and these are just healthcare-related groups, and just a few of those healthcare-related groups. The American Hospital Association slammed the bill, urging the Senate to go back to the drawing board. Unquote. They said in a statement uh, from the onset of this debate, America's hospitals and healthcare systems have been guided by a set of key principles that would protect coverage for Americans. Unfortunately, the draft bill under discussion in the Senate moves in the opposite direction, particularly for our most vulnerable patients. Uh, that association, by the way, the American Hospital Association, uh, represents some 5,000 hospitals and health care systems. It's the sixth highest lobbying spender in Washington this year, according to Open Secrets. So maybe Republicans will listen to them. Maybe they'll listen to the Federation of American Hospitals, which has uh, objected to the lack of, quote, reasonable Medicaid structural reforms. In the Senate bill, they say it does not, quote, sustain affordable, high-quality individual coverage or protect employer-sponsored insurance. The CEO of that group says now is the time for the Senate to hit reset and make key improvements to this legislation. Uh, Between uh, them, the Federation of American Hospitals and the AHA, the American Hospital Association, they represent two of the largest hospital associations in the country. Also, the America's Essential Hospitals Group, representing nearly 300 safety net medical centers, came out very strongly against the bill, saying it would kill jobs, it would leave people without life-saving services, and would hurt progress made on curbing the opioid epidemic. Their CEO wrote in a statement, Today's Senate bill makes few material improvements to the deeply damaging House legislation and might be worse overall. In the statement, uh, he said for the hospitals that protect millions of Americans in their communities, our essential hospitals, this bill might even accelerate decisions by some to reduce services or close their doors. The group called for senators to work with stakeholders to fix the health care system, quote, while preserving progress made towards coverage and stability for all. You'll recall the Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, they worked with all of these stakeholders, these hospitals, these doctors, these uh, in, in, even in the insurance companies, for good or bad, unlike the uh, Republican bill, which was, you know, put together in secret in the Senate by uh, Mitch McConnell and a few staffers, essentially. The American Academy of Pediatrics slammed the bill as well. It said the bill fails children. By dismantling the Medicaid program, capping its funding, ending its expansion, and allowing its benefits to be scaled back, the bill fails all children by leaving more families uninsured or without insurance they can afford or that meets their basic needs. That, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics, who represent some 66,000 primary care pediatricians and specialists. You would think that Republicans would care about what these people had to say if, in fact, this bill was about improving health care in the U.S.
2: (laughs) But we know it's not really about improving health care. We know it's about tax cuts.
1: Well, we will talk about that with uh, Igor Volsky, I suspect, uh, momentarily. Uh, Also, the American Association of Medical Colleges warned that the Senate bill could place untenable strain on states and providers while harming patients. They said, quote, we are extremely disappointed by the Senate bill released today. Despite promises to the contrary, it will leave millions of people without health coverage and others with only bare bones plans that will be insufficient to properly address their needs. The bill should at least maintain Obamacare levels of coverage, they say, not weaken Medicaid and be the result of a more transparent process as well. The uh, AAMC represents all 147 accredited medical schools across the U.S. The AARP, also uh, a major uh, seniors group, has uh, slammed the the bill. They, They said in their statement, we strongly urge the Senate to reject this bill promising that they would hold all 100 senators accountable for their votes on this harmful bill. They write, uh, the proposed Medicaid cuts, in particular, everyone's focusing on these Medicaid cuts. The proposed Medicaid cuts would leave millions, including our most vulnerable seniors, at risk of losing the care they need and erode seniors' ability to live in their homes and their communities. The Senate bill would hit millions of Americans with higher costs and result in less coverage for them. That from the uh, American Association of Retired Persons, is that what? Yeah, AARP or yeah, ARP stands for. So, uh, yeah, the first uh, 24 hours since that bill has been introduced um, to repeal and replace Obamacare uh, has not uh, has not done well for that. Uh, For those uh, prospects for that bill, at least for people who give a damn about what's actually in it, about what it actually does. And there is quite a few questions, uh, Desi Doyen, as you alluded to, as far as if that's really what this uh, (laughs) attempt to repeal and replace is all about. Well, let's take a quick break. Uh, We've got Igor Volsky standing by. Uh, With a lot of the details that we are learning about this bill over the past 24 hours, none of them, as far as I can tell, are pretty. We'll talk about that next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Given the outcome of the 2016 election, we really need your support now more than ever. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. This
0: American carnage stops right here and stops
1: right now. Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, during Donald Trump's inauguration address, remember that? He famously, or infamously, depending on how you may look at it, discussed ending what he described at the time as American carnage. I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, in the, in the past 24 hours or so since the Senate Republicans have released their previously secret bill to repeal and replace Obamacare. I, I've been reading quite a bit about it, uh, including many different aspects of what it will and won't do, who it will and won't affect, and, and how it will and won't affect them. And i got to say, the words American carnage keep coming to my mind. Uh, for example, a study by, the American, by American Progress finds the death rate alone Just the death rate resulting from these changes uh, to the health care law, to the Affordable Care Act, the loss of health care coverage for Americans if Republicans are successful in repealing this legislation would be devastating. While we're waiting on the score of the uh, Senate's plan from the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office, their analysis of the House version of the bill found that some 23 million more Americans would be uninsured under at least the House version of that plan by 2026 than the number uh, that would be uninsured under the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. Now, using estimates of mortality rates from Massachusetts's own experience with health reform, the center estimated that the number of additional deaths resulting from coverage losses from the Senate bill uh, under three different scenarios would in and of themselves be devastating. One scenario in which uh, coverage losses from the Senate bill are the same as that under the House version, you know, depending on what the CBO comes back with. And they also looked at two scenarios in which coverage losses are modestly reduced by changes from the House bill. What did they find? Well, assuming that just only, only 15 million fewer people would have coverage in 2026, they estimated that coverage losses from the Senate bill would result in 18,100 additional deaths in 2026 alone. If there was 19 million fewer people uh, with coverage, they estimated that uh, the losses from the Senate bill would result in almost 23,000 additional deaths in 2026. And if they assume the 23 million people uh, fewer people would have coverage, as is the case with the House version of the bill, they estimated that the coverage losses from the Senate bill would result in 27,000. 700 additional deaths just from the loss of coverage. Now, extrapolating those numbers, they then find that if coverage losses from the Senate bill matched those from the House bill, it would result in 217,000 additional deaths over the next decade. That from this bill they're about to vote on in uh, just a matter of days if Mitch McConnell has his way. And for what? Apparently, uh, those deaths of uh, nearly quarter of a million Americans would come in exchange for enormous tax cuts for the wealthy, cruel cuts to Medicaid programs, not just the expanded Medicaid program under Ob- Obamacare, but also the traditional 52-year-old Medicaid program. That's getting cut here, too. And a threat to the stability of hospitals across the country, particularly in rural areas, presumably where there are more Trump voters than Hillary Clinton voters. So talk about American carnage. I got to be honest, I can't find anything particularly good about this Senate bill, despite the fact that Donald Trump had promised a bill that was going to be less mean in his words, than the House version, that had more heart, also his words, than the House version. And as you'll recall, he had promised many times in 2015 during the campaign that he would never cut Medicaid. Well, he's doing exactly that. So what the hell is going on here? And can this bill actually become law, gut Obamacare, take away health care from millions of Americans, give huge tax breaks to the wealthy and result in untold American carnage as a result? It sure seems like it. Back when Democrats were trying to pass the Affordable Care Act originally, way back in 2009 and 2010, maybe even before that, as I recall, when when he was working with Howard Dean in 2004 and 2005, I think, we spoke quite a bit With reform, healthcare reform advocate Igor Volsky of the Center for American Progress. It has actually been that long, at least seven or eight years since we talked to him last. So today seems like a good moment to check back in and see how that whole Obamacare thing is going. Igor Volsky is a longtime healthcare researcher and reform advocate. And now direct co-director of the American Progress Action Fund, he's also the co-host with Michelle Joando of the Center's weekly Thinking Cap podcast, Igor Volsky. Welcome back, sir. Hey, it's
0: great to be back with you. I'm a little disappointed we're still talking about this law (laughs) seven, eight years later. I thought we could move on. I know. But look, they just won't let us.
1: Uh, No, they really won't. Uh, But let me start here. Let me try to be generous in in hopes of being positive. Maybe I'm missing something, Igor. The GOP promised to improve on uh, what the Affordable Care Act does. They told us for many years Obamacare is a disaster. It's harming people. The premiums, the deductibles, they're too high. Some of those points I suspect you may be, uh, agree with, uh, you know, that it's killing jobs, they claimed. They said we needed better coverage for less money. So what does the Senate version of the bill, or even the House version, if you prefer, what does it do to actually improve on any of the criticisms that they've had over over the years of Obamacare, Igor?
0: Well, if you were to find any positive little kind of piece sliver of this bill, it would probably be that if you're a young person who is healthy, you could buy a plan and pay less for it than you would um, in the current system. Now, if you were to fall ill and you would actually need to use the coverage you're paying for, it probably wouldn't cover whatever condition you've developed. (laughs) But for that short period of time when you're healthy and you're just paying in um premiums into your insurance uh you would probably save money that as far as i can tell is probably the only positive element of this whole thing
1: so it would have uh so if you're younger if you're healthy you may be able to find a plan for less but it's a plan that won't necessarily give you much in return if you actually need it
0: yeah and you'll remember we had these kinds of plans before the affordable care act mm-hmm. became law they were called these subprime policies that a lot of you know fast food places a lot of retail places would offer you would pay money into into the insurance carrier but if you actually got sick or you developed a chronic condition or you had a medication that was particularly expensive you weren't able to get it covered because they really were insur insurance in name only and that's exactly what Uh, The world we would return to under this bill because it it says to the states, hey guys, you can do whatever you want. It's up to you what kind of products insurers sell. And so if you have a state that tells an insurance company you no longer have to cover cancer screenings, you no longer have to cover opioid treatment, you no longer have to cover maternity care, then insurers can provide these really skimpy coverage uh, to people, make money off of them without actually having to pay anything out. It's a good deal for
1: them. Yeah, sure. And so that is essentially because uh, they're, they're making the, what do they call them, the essential health benefits, that there were certain th- things that the, each policy had to cover under Obamacare. They're making that, I think they're, are they leaving that in place, but they're making it optional so states can ask yep. for waivers to avoid those?
0: Yep, states can can waive that. Uh There's very few requirements. You know, usually when you get a waiver, and especially under the Obama administration, a lot of states wanted to get a waiver for how they expanded Medicaid. So, mm-hmm. For instance, Rick Scott, the governor of Florida, asked for a very particular Medicaid expansion where he would use a lot of private carriers uh, to facilitate. And the administration said as long as you meet certain requirements and you provide coverage to, um, to a certain amount of people, you could, you could do it this way. This bill really throws it out the window and doesn't have the kind of, you know, because there's different ways you can get to the same goal. Mm-hmm. So if there was a way that Republicans could come up with that would provide people maternity care at an affordable rate, maybe that's something we should discuss. This bill doesn't even require states to do that, and that's a real problem.
1: And yeah, that's what I've been uh, trying to check. my. You know, I always try to check myself. uh, You know, do I have a partisan inclinations one way or another? I've been trying to read this uh, this bill and analysis and trying to find where the upside is. And I'm just having a really hard time. And at the same time, uh, you know, when you see the the real stories of real people who are affected by this, you spoke yesterday on your Thinking Cap podcast uh, with a man by the name of John Miller. Uh, Born with life-threatening cystic fibrosis uh, About his experience with Obamacare And the concerns that he has about the Republican effort to repeal and replace it Again, American carnage came to my mind uh, While I was looking at that Tell me about uh, John's experience and, and his concerns By way of really just one example of how this legislation affects very real people Beyond the numbers and beyond the politics here, Igor
0: Yeah, well, John's really scared, frankly. Um, He has this chronic condition that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to manage. Mm -hmm. If He did not have insurance. Um, He really is um, thankful that he has coverage. You know, he was on his parents' plan uh, for a while, and then Obamacare became law, and it allowed him to have insurance and kind of explore and develop a career without having to rely on a job that provides coverage. It's, you know, what we call job lock, this Mm -hmm. idea that people would stay in a job even Mm -hmm. if they're not happy, even if their skills could be used elsewhere. But because it provides insurance, it's their only gateway to insurance. They stayed in that job. So, so John really had a lot of options. Not just uh, because of the health care, not not just because he had health insurance from Obamacare, but he could become like a productive member of society because he had that portability that Obamacare uh, uh, allowed him to have. Um, and look, he says that if the law goes away and if insurers are able to drop coverage for the kinds of treatments that he needs, the kinds of medications that he needs, that he could literally die. Um, Of course, the, the option, I guess, he would have under the under the law is they do provide in the Senate bill some additional dollars for and you and I, I think talked about this seven years ago
2: yeah.
0: um, these high risk pools right. uh these are these insurance programs for really, really, really sick people. That's probably where John would have to go um under the Senate health care bill, and Of course, the problem with these programs is that sick people who use a lot of coverage are very expensive. And if you put all of them in a pool, that pool of enrollees becomes very expensive to cover. And so, you know, in the experience that states have had with these high-risk pools, there were um, these pools right before Obamacare came into effect, um, that they are typically underfunded, um, and they cost the individual a whole lot of money. And so he fears that that, too, would probably be unaffordable to him. So long story short, I mean, he's very scared about what his future looks like if this thing becomes law.
1: Well, I guess that'll teach him for being born with cystic fibrosis. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You mentioned uh, job lock and, you know, people who have to stay in jobs that they hate, uh, that frankly make them sick, only because... Uh, you know, or at least used to be the case that it was because, you know, they, they had to the only way to get health insurance that was affordable was through their employer. Now, a lot of people, uh, obviously, some 20 million picked up coverage via uh, the Affordable Care Act. But it, it with this. Uh, Reform, I guess we'll call it, that Republicans are looking at. Reform, even,
0: I prefer. Uh, yeah,
1: I think you're right. Uh, but even with that, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, who have coverage under their employer, um, they think, "Oh, this doesn't affect me." Uh, but even if you get health insurance through your employer, th- that is also at risk, is it not with these with these yeah. reforms?
0: yeah that's because with uh the waiver for central health benefits, which is again what states are going to be empowered to do to allow insurers to provide these skimpy no good insurance plans, you also get the waiver for annual and lifetime caps, and so um, that those apply to employer to employer plans, to employer coverage. Mm-hmm. And so it means that the protections that people now have uh, who have employer insurance, and I'm trying to think of the number of Americans with employer coverage, it's it's a lot. It's, yeah. mo- the, mo- it's the highest percentage of um, the insured population has in- insurance through their employer. Mm-hmm. But those protections of not having lifetime caps on coverage, not having annual caps on coverage, that is how much an insurer is going to pay... F- for your treatment until they stop paying, all of that went away uh, in the Affordable Care Act. It could come back in certain states, and that means that people who thought they had this solid coverage and um, were all good could be in for a um, for you know an unfortunate surprise if they have a serious chronic condition that needs management.
1: And uh, as a great concern, well, you you say that uh, uh, you know private insurers uh, through employ uh, uh, through employers are the, the sort of the greatest pool here. But the other greatest pool here, and maybe even I think the largest single provider, is essentially Medicaid. Uh, and it's above and beyond you know the the concern of of uh, the loss of coverage for the Affordable Care Act exchanges. There's this direct attack on Medicaid. Writing over at The Nation today, Zoe Carpenter argues that what's going on here is really not about health care at all. It's really about class warfare as much as anything. She writes, it's hard to overstate how radical these changes to Medicaid are, both practically and politically. She says, although gutting Medicaid has long been a pipe dream for Paul Ryan, it is... Not something that most Republicans campaigned on. In fact, Trump promised while campaigning that he would not cut Medicaid if elected. They've got no mandate for so deeply altering the 52-year-old program, she says, and it's not something the party has tried to justify to the public. Instead, Republicans pretend it's not happening. This is a, from Tim Scott, a South Carolina Senator. Tim Scott told reporters as he left a meeting on Thursday, as they were revealing this uh, uh, this Republican Senate version of the bill. He said, "Quote: Medicaid is not being cut from our perspective. Uh, not being cut from their perspective. How is that claim even possible, Igor? Uh, even oh, if yeah. one likes the bill."
0: Yeah, well, I mean, we can we can talk about how they rationalize it, but let's actually spend some time on the facts. So, Medicaid is a program that cut co- that covers 74 million Americans, and then it's not just lower-income Americans who we usually, I think, think of when we talk about uh, Medicaid. Mm-hmm. It's 49 percent of all births, of all childbirths, are covered by Medicaid. 64 percent of all nursing home residents have Medicaid coverage. of poor children, 39% of all children. So you're really talking about 20% of all Americans rely on Medicaid. And the House bill cuts it by about $834 billion. That's a big amount. Mm -hmm. The Senate bill is even worse because not only do they go after Medicaid expansion in a slightly different way, but they also cap the program and change the way it's funded by the federal government and in you know the out years of uh, uh once once those caps go into effect states are going to receive less money from the federal government to fund their medicaid programs and their medicaid populations and they're going to have to face a real choice either get money from the state coffers to make up the difference or to tighten eligibility and push people out of the program, which is likely what they're going to do, which is actually what states have done previously when they've done their own um, reforms, particularly states in the South that have never been uh, too too enamored with the program. So, you know, this is... uh, really shocking I think not only because as you point out Trump said he wouldn't touch Medicaid but because it's like really going after lower income and and middle-income Americans um in a way that we've never seen before I mean Republicans talk about entitlement reform and changing the program but doing it in this way um, and we don't even have a number for how many could lose coverage um, but it's it's fairly substantial uh, because it's going to take you know almost what a trillion dollars out of a program that already is 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 operating a really tight ship and you could pro- argue probably needs more funding.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, they're doing the exact opposite.
1: And and to be clear, uh, Igor Volsky, when you when you're talking about these these cuts and these caps that are going to be put on, we're not just talking only about the the so-called Medicaid expansion under the Affordable Care Act. They're actually talking about uh, capping and cutting the original, the what yeah. I guess the traditional Medicaid program, correct?
0: Yeah, they phase out the expansion at a slower rate than the House bill. This is like kind of throwing a bone mm-hmm. to these Senate Republican moderates we've heard so much about. Um, and then there's the traditional Medicaid program, um, and that's what they're changing the funding of right now there's a matching fund that the federal government gives to the state. So however much the state spends on the program, the federal government matches that. It's an open-ended funding stream with the understanding that if there's a health care crisis, you need more money. If there's an epidemic, you need more money. Um, and so there's that flexibility built into the, the formula as it stands now, the funding formula. That changes dramatically in the Senate bill, and for the first time, there's a cap the federal government is going to decide how much money to give to, to, to a certain kind of individual, and then it's going to increase that cap over time. But it's not going to increase it as health care costs increase. It's going to peg it to some other kind of indicator that's going to rise at a slower rate, meaning over time, that's is going to have less and less money to spend on its Medicaid program and it probably means and realistically means based on how budgets work and how we've seen other states Mm -hmm. behave in the past um, that millions of low-income people are going to lose insurance.
1: So even even if you take the argument at face value that Republicans have been offering for the past whatever we're at seven years now at this point about Obamacare Obamacare is bad Obamacare is a disaster even if you wanted to fix what you claimed that obamacare broken broke none of that had anything to do with the original medicaid right, <laughs> right? i mean
0: well they've never they've you know they have proposed this kind of block grant. uh, They're they're called block grants. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, These reforms for quite some time. Paul Ryan had championed them. Mitt Romney ran on them. I think McCain ran on them if I'm remembering correctly. Um, So they've, they've talked about it before and they would tell you that this would really create a more efficient program and that it would really push, and this is their ultimate goal, all of the people who are now in Medicaid, which is very efficient partly because it doesn't pay providers a whole lot in some areas of the country, and that probably needs to be changed. Um, But they want to push those folks into private insurance, where they think they will have more choice and more options. So that's really the end goal, to kind of drown the program uh, over time in the bathtub entirely.
1: Where care is uh, in the private uh, sector, where care is more expensive, if only because the private companies have to make a profit unlike Medicaid which doesn't have to make a profit correct
0: yeah much much higher overhead
1: so yeah. it, it's sort of counterintuitive if anyone bothers to pay attention to what the, you know to the argument that they're actually making but uh, Igor along with uh, you know cutting into Medicaid uh, the other big part of this is you know that Republicans have been offering forever is of course, tax cuts uh, to the wealthy. And just by one uh, data point, you probably have more at your fingers there, but the Center for Budget and Policy Priorities finds that households with incomes above $1 million a year—so it's you're, you're doing well, you're making $1 million, million a year uh, at the very least— On an average, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, sure, (laughs) Uh, no problem. I'm looking forward to what I will get as an average cut uh, with one million a year of more than fifty thousand dollars a piece. That would, in and of itself, just on one household, that would pay for the uh, Medicaid expansion coverage for eight people. And the numbers here are kind of staggering because you're talking about a very small number of people that are getting a huge tax cut. Uh, and basically cutting out the the, the needs from the uh, you know cutting them off at the knees for like uh, seven hundred and twenty five thousand uh, people. Uh, yeah. Is is that what this is about? Just a tax cut ultimately?
0: I mean, probably. I mean, they're taking coverage away from people, offering them no alternative at all, kind of sending them out on their own, and at the same time, and let's let's kind of maybe walk through where the tax cut comes from. So. Mm-hmm. Um, The Affordable Care Act funded the coverage expansion for 20 million people, partly through tax cuts, uh, I'm sorry, tax increases Mm -hmm. on higher-earning households. And two tax uh, increases in particular. One is a hospital insurance payroll tax on high earners. Now, that goes to fund Medicare. So they're getting rid of that, which means they're shortening the life of Medicare by three years. So, key point, key point there. great. So they're breaking Mm -hmm. that, too. Breaking that promise as well. Okay. Um, And then there's also the Medicare tax on unearned income. This is like capital gains, investment income. Um, uh, That, too, there was a tax increase there to help fund the coverage expansion in Obamacare. That tax increase, this Senate bill repeals. So as a result, you get exactly the numbers you read off for millionaires, this uh, tax cut of uh, over $50,000 for multimillionaires, about Mm $250,000. And then my favorite statistic is that for the 400 richest tax filers, they get a tax cut totaling, get ready for this, $2.8 billion. So... Those are just the facts of the bill just for that's those just for those, four, just, just for those 400 <laughs> just for
1: those four hundred people
0: just for those four hundred people that's right yeah. Uh, uh. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I, so I, I guess I'm I, I I I've been trying to check myself this whole time to make sure I'm not uh, just over you know exaggerating this. Uh, it seems like it is as bad as it seems, uh, and yet this thing is moving forward. Igor, they're going. Uh, Mitch McConnell is talking about voting on it before the Fourth of July recess. I don't know if that can or will happen. A number of Senate Republicans. Uh, on the right, on the far right, uh, four, uh, to be exact, I think Rand Paul, Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, Ron Johnson have said they can't vote on this you know, bill and, as and it's And Dean written. Heller
0: just, just oh. moments ago announced that he, too, uh, is opposed to it as of now.
1: But is he opposed to it? Those, those four, Paul, Cruz, Lee, and Johnson, have said they're opposed to it as written, as if, hey, tweak a few things here and there and we'll be on board. I get that sense that that's also the case from folks like Heller Uh, Susan Collins, that, you know, throw them a bone with some amendments, and they're going to go for this.
0: Yeah, and you remember that's what happened in the House debate as well, Mm -hmm. that it didn't look like it was going anywhere, and then they got a little sweetheart deal, and they were all for it. Now, you know, that is really, Brad, is going to depend on whether or not Dean Heller and Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, and um, uh, I want to say Olympia Snow, but I really am thinking about Susan S-Susan Collins. Susan Collins, Maine, yeah. Um, whether or not they hear from their constituents, and it's like absolutely critical. I cannot even st- stress enough that during this weekend, people in those states of Nevada, uh, Alaska, Maine, uh, Ohio, that they show up at state capitals or organize in district offices where these senators have offices and make sure they get press coverage, make sure they get their voices heard, that they oppose this bill. you got to get in the faces of these senators. You really do, because they do respond to constituent pressure. Believe it or not, they do. You do that this weekend, and then starting Monday, you call their offices nonstop, and you tell them to vote against this bill. That's really what it's going to take. I mean, millions are going to lose coverage, and it's, like, literally up to us to make sure we put enough pressure on these guys to make sure they know that if they vote for this thing, there's going to be a real price to pay when they ask for people's votes, because you look at this bill, uh, Brad, and it looks like Republicans don't think they'll ever face an election ever again yep. or like a fair election ever again. Right. Because yep. there's no constituency. These 400 families that are going to vote for you, who mm-hmm. are the 400, richest like you're not going to win it. Right. So you got to who, who the constituency is for this bill. I have no idea, um, and so but, but the, the the good news there is that there's way more of us who are hurt by this bill than there are who actually benefit from it, and so you know we, we created a tool here at cap that lets you do that easily it 's called trumpcaretoolkit.org trumpcaretoolkit.org If folks go there, there's that whip list of key senators, they can call them, they can tweet them, um, and they can make sure that really their voices are heard on this.
1: Boy, it's it's a tough day when the good news is that more of us are going to be hurt (laughs) than than them. uh, Igor Volsky, co-director of the uh, American Progress Action Fund, uh, co-host of the uh, Center for American Progress's weekly Thinking Cap podcast. Uh, check out his work at AmericanProgress.org, on the Twitters at Igor Volsky, and, of course, uh, check out TrumpCareToolkit.org. Igor, let's uh, let's not wait another 10 years to do it again, sir. I uh, would love to. Thank you, sir. All right, Brad. Okay, quick break, and we're back with uh, Desi Doyen in the Green News Report. And... Uh, A few other things, uh, in fact, that uh, Igor had referred to, so we'll get to that in a moment. Don't go anywhere. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. (laughs)
2: And thanks.
1: Well, a lot of people are melting out here in the uh, in the Southwest with this uh, heat wave that is uh, barreling through here in early summer. We'll get to uh, the Green News Report with Desi Doyen in, in a moment. Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, Igor Volsky, my thanks again to him. He had mentioned that uh, Dean Heller, senator from Nevada, where it's also plenty warm today, I suspect, (laughs) uh, he's um, uh, he's saying Republican uh, Senator Dean Heller that he will not uh, support in the quote in this form. I will not support it. Talking about. The Senate health care bill. He, of course, is up for reelection in 2018. This is a Medicaid expansion state, one of the states that did expand uh, uh, Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. Uh, and it's one of the swingiest of the swing states. So it's not a complete surprise that he would say any, in any event that he's against the Republican bill. He says this bill is simply not the answer. Talking Points Memo described uh, his, his remarks here as having blasted the Senate Obamacare bill um, as he announced his opposition. He said, however, uh, or they say, however, it was notable that Heller would condemn the Senate proposal in such strong terms and not just for its Medicaid cuts. Heller said there isn't anything in this bill that would lower premiums. He made this announcement at a press conference where he was joined by Nevada Governor Brian Sandoval, also a Republican. He has uh, been critical of the Republican efforts to eliminate the expansion of Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. So you've got the Republican governor of Nevada. You've got the Republican senator who's up for election from Nevada, both uh, coming out now against this bill. Heller said, make no mistake. The Affordable Care Act does need fixing, but the bill in front of us today I don't think makes those fixes. Uh, He said, let me assure you, leadership knows well how I feel. He also bashed long-term cuts in the Senate bill to the traditional Medicaid program and was skeptical today that Senate leadership was going to be able to provide concessions that would uh, bring him around to support the bill. That's kind of surprising because you know Ted Cruz and those, uh, those folks on the far right, Cruz, uh, Rand Lee, Paul. Paul, you know, they're all going to come around. They'll get a little gift out of it, and they'll say, okay, yeah, we'll vote for it.
2: Yeah, just enough to satisfy their base supporters.
1: Heller says it's going to be very difficult to get me to a yes. Difficult, but not impossible, See? noticed he says. Uh, he predicted that his call for a preservation of the Medicaid expansion would lose the support of the more uh, conservative senators from the non-expansion states. Uh, and did not hold back his criticism of the Senate bill and his concerns on the Medicaid cuts, ranging from their impact on special needs schools to their effect on substance abuse programs. Well, good for him. Good for Dean Heller who, by the way, is also a liar and falsely uh, certified voting machines in uh, Nevada back in 2004. But that's for another day. Back when
2: he was Secretary of State of Nevada. Correct. But we'll talk about that another yeah, day.
1: Another day. Uh, for now, uh, he's he's at least on the right side of this, it seems. That's one senator. They need at least two more to block this bill. Uh, and that is, of course, if Heller stays. He went on to say beyond the Medicaid cuts, he was also concerned with the Senate bill's rollback via those waivers that we were talking about also with Igor on right. Obamacare's essential health benefits. And uh, you made a point over the break, Des, uh, about those employer uh, medical uh, insurance programs and the effect that this bill, if the Republicans have their way, the effect that it will have on, on Yeah, it'll have
2: policies. an effect on a lot more people than, than most folks realize uh, that's regarding those uh, bans on lifetime caps and mm-hmm. annual limits uh, yep. with that repeal, if that gets repealed, then you know we're talking about about 27 million Americans who get their employer insurance and would be subject to having those lifetime caps and uh, And those annual. So it's not just, you know, for
1: people who look at this, uh, it's not just Medicaid. Oh, you know, those poor people, those elderly people, those sick children. It's not just those uh, those slackers who are enjoying uh, the the premium subsidies on the Affordable Care Act's uh, medical exchanges. It's people who right now have insurance through their employer. They, too are going to be affected here.
2: Right. Here's how that would work. Now, so states can decide if they want to get a waiver on those essential health benefits. And here's the trick. This can spread beyond an individual state like, say, Texas, which has already indicated that it might seek that waiver. So this is how it would work. There was a survey that was taken by a group called Willers Tower, Willis Towers Watson. They surveyed large employers. Twenty percent of those large employers said they would bring back annual limits and lifetime caps. So the way the rule would work-
1: 20% of 20% the employers- 20% of that large current, employers, yeah. yeah.
2: So the way it would work is that wow. large employers that operate in several states can choose which state they want to use as the basis for their, F, their benefits. So if an employer operates in 15 states, for example, and just one of those states has a waiver, like Texas, then that company can set all of its benefits in mm, all of its states see? based on that one state. So So, in other words, if your company works in one state that gets a waiver, but you're in a state that doesn't, well, too bad, your employer can opt to put those limits back in place. You ain't
1: protected. You're screwed, too. And uh, people have no idea, for all the problems that there are with uh, Obamacare, people have no idea the benefits that they've been enjoying, even while they are out beating the hell out of it and saying it's a disaster. Uh, Anyway, speaking of disasters... (laughs) Let's get to it, Desi Doyen, our latest Green News report.
2: The primary control knob is the um, uh, ocean waters and the uh, this environment that we live in. The head of the U.S. Department of Energy goes full science denial. Trump administration seeks to reactivate Yucca Mountain nuclear waste site. Plastic pollution has now reached Antarctica. Renewable energy actually helps electric grid stability. Plus... British government to invest a billion dollars in shift to electric cars.
1: All of those shifts. Oh, I see what you did there. And more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And
2: I'm Desi Doyen. Stand
1: by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. There is a massive heat wave out west. Today, temperatures are expected to reach 127 degrees in Death Valley. But... But it's a dry death. (laughs) (laughs) So there's that. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Dizzy Doyen, Donald Trump has a great new idea that I am certain is going to make you be in favor of his border wall.
2: (laughs) Not too fast. At a campaign rally in Cedar Rapids, Iowa on Wednesday, Donald Trump said he is toying with the idea of putting solar panels on his border wall at the U.S.-Mexico border. We're thinking about building the wall as a solar wall so it creates energy. And pays for itself.
1: But I thought Mexico was going to pay for it. And this way, Mexico will have to pay much less money. Oh, I see. All right. Well, that explains that. Is that good, Desi
2: Doyen? (laughs) Well, it would be doable, but it would be actually cheaper and way simpler to just put solar panels where the people are.
1: Well, that's true. And if he really wants that much solar, nothing's
2: stopping him from building the solar without the wall. He really is the king of the trolls. It looks like CNBC is a go-to safe space for climate science deniers in the Trump administration. In an interview with CNBC's Joe Kernan, also a climate science denier, the U.S. Secretary of Energy Rick Perry, the guy responsible for the nation's nuclear plants and nuclear warheads, denied the basic physics that carbon dioxide is the primary driver of warming in the atmosphere. You believe CO2 is the primary control knob for for the temperature of the Earth and for uh, for climate, no. Most likely, the primary control knob is the um, uh, ocean waters and the uh, this environment that we live in. <laughs>
1: Yes, it's the ocean waters and the environment we live in that is heating up the environment that we live in.
2: It was barely coherent and just want to point out that the oceans are harmed by carbon dioxide emissions because warming waters seriously damage coral reefs and the ocean itself is becoming more acidic as it absorbs some of our CO2 emissions. Perry also generated bipartisan anger from Nevada's congressional delegation when he said in a congressional hearing this week that the Trump administration intends to reverse the Obama administration's decision to shutter the controversial Yucca Mountain nuclear waste repository located just 80 miles from Las Vegas. Nevada has no nuclear plants, and a majority of Nevadans object to being forced to bear the burden and the risk of other states' toxic radioactive nuclear waste in perpetuity. Renewable energy does not harm the reliability of the electric grid and, in fact, helps it. That's according to a new analysis published in advance of a soon-to-be-released Department of Energy study into whether wind and solar negatively impact grid reliability. That was ordered by Secretary Perry. Perry hinted that he might try to roll back state renewable energy targets using grid reliability as an issue of national security. But a new report from energy consulting firm The Analysis Group this week concludes that... Adding new renewable energy capacity to the U.S. electric grid actually increases the grid's reliability. Or,
1: as Rick Perry might say... Oops.
2: California Energy Commissioner David Hotschild said California's grid is managing the rise of renewables just fine. And he notes that the countries with the most wind and solar, Denmark and Germany, have 10 times fewer power outages than the U.S. Plastic pollution has made it to the Antarctic. Researchers from the British Antarctic Survey, who recently had to move their research station due to unstable melting ice, announced this week that they found surprisingly high levels of tiny plastic pollution, five times higher than they expected in the Antarctic Ocean brought in by ocean currents.
1: We really ruin everything, don't we?
2: But some good news. World coal production dropped by the largest amount ever in history last year and saw the largest rise in renewable energy generation. That's according to the annual BP World Energy Report. And China, for the first time, surpassed the U.S. to become the world's largest renewable energy producer. And Britain announced this week that it will invest nearly a billion dollars in zero emissions technology with the goal of requiring nearly all vehicles in Britain to be zero emission by 2050 and mandating the building out of an electric car charging infrastructure at gas stations and rest areas.
1: England's doing it. India's doing it. China's doing it. Maybe someday the U.S. will do it. Maybe. Leading the world from behind. For much more on all of those stories, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman.
2: And I'm Desi Doyen.
1: And this has been your Green News Report. Everyone but us. <laughs> Everyone but us. Building
2: a bridge to the 19th century.
1: Oh, yeah, we're doing it. We're doing it. Uh, by the way, thank you very much, Desi And By the way, I meant to give out the phone number earlier. You have to take action if you if you want to stop what's going on. If you want to stop that anti-Affordable Care Act train that is heading our way within days, you can call your senator at 202-224-3121. That's 202 202-224- 224 Three one two one. You can also uh, stop by and uh, TrumpCareToolkit.org uh, and, and download that uh, tool as far as how to take action in your home state, the most effective ways, uh, from Igor Volsky and the Center for American Progress. My thanks to him. He was our guest today. And my thanks to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com or at your favorite podcast site like iTunes or wherever. Hope you'll uh, give us good review if you stop by any of those places. It makes it easier for everyone else to find us as well. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen. And let's see, what else? Oh, you can drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com and on the Facebooks and the Twitters where uh, you can find and follow and share us worldwide as well. I am simply the Brad Blog. That is it. Until we meet again. Oh, brother. Good luck, world.